You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. An evacuation alert has been issued as crews battle a small wildfire on the Sunshine Coast. We first showed you the pictures on last night's news hour. The flames near Pender Harbor burning just above some homes. And now a handful of those residents are on evacuation alert. Catherine Urquhart has a look at the conditions and the firefight. Oh my, look at that. We got the top side of it. Concerned residents of Pender Harbor watch on as choppers and fixed wing aircraft make an aggressive assault on the Cecil Hill wildfire. Seven helicopters bucket the fire with water. A number of aircraft drop fire retardant. Oh, always the red stuff. stuff. Yeah, there he goes. Now five hectares. The fire started Monday and has prompted an evacuation alert for seven homes along Cecil Hill Road. 49 firefighters are on the ground, along with members of Pender Harbor's volunteer fire department. The fire is on a steep hill in pretty dense uh, forest canopy above uh, a small community. Uh, we have had a skimmer group, which is a water group, uh, drop water on the fire quite extensively today, and they were able to bring the uh, fire um, activity down quite a bit. The Strip Creek fire along the Sea to Sky Highway now spans 4.18 hectares, but is 100% contained. It was sparked Sunday, the response leading to highway delays. Those delays continuing as crews extinguish hotspots and remove a number of unstable trees. Around the province, the fire danger rating is going up, with much of the south coast now rated high to extreme. So far this season, there have been 380 forest fires, 153 of them believed to be human-caused. So right now, uh, we're sitting with this high fire danger rating, but we are hopeful that we're going to get some precipitation in the next couple of days. Back at Pender Harbour, crews are making progress, but this smoldering ground fire continues to burn out of control. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. So obviously the next couple of days could be key for firefighters and residents there. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is in for Christy and joins us with more on what we can expect. Yvonne. Oh, we are tracking some rainfall. We've been advertising a low that's been offshore that is going to push in, but there is going to be lots of instability. Now, it'll be as early as the morning hours that we'll see a chance of showers, but the concern will be for the afternoon. We're looking at the risk of thunderstorms for the central and southern half of the province, the interior, but it is going to push in along the south coast. We'll be keeping a close eye, risk of thunderstorms for the afternoon afternoon tomorrow and the bulk of the moisture is going to fall but it'll be late for our Wednesday and in towards our Thursday. Rainfall amounts from one of the models could get us upwards of up to 20 millimeters for a few areas and then by Saturday with a few areas just over 30 millimeters we'll have more on the numbers and the timing of it coming up shortly. Chris. All right sounds good we'll check in later. Thanks Yvonne. An aggressive black bear on Burnaby Mountain has been located and put down. Conservation officers called in yesterday afternoon when the bear approached two people picnicking near Horizons Restaurant and took a swipe at one of them. Our Tanya Beja is live with the latest. And Tanya, uh, conservation officers did eventually find the bear. Where was it? Sophie, they found the bear about 900 metres down the hill from where I'm standing in a neighbourhood where he had been spotted many times before. 
A major search for an aggressive black bear now over. Conservation officers set a trap for the animal in a residential area below Burnaby Mountain and around 2.30 Tuesday afternoon, neighbours reported a sighting. We responded and we found a bear in proximity feeding on uh, residential garbage. Uh, the bear was matching the description of the bear involved in the attack yesterday and we were able to euthanize them on site. Two people were enjoying a picnic near Horizons Restaurant Monday when they were approached by the bear. There was a, a backpack um, with food in it and the bear grabbed the backpack and then uh, the female uh, had an interaction with the bear and, and the bear actually made contact with the female and created just superficial uh, injuries to her. Police and conservation officers responded by closing trails and setting traps loaded with sardines and molasses. They say the animal they caught was an adult male who had become dangerously habituated to people and garbage. For the past uh, f few months we got over 100 calls of uh, bears accessing garbage in this specific uh, neighborhood so we know that this bear was very active in the area. The incident is renewing calls to keep food sources away from wildlife. Keep your garbage cans in a secure place, keep them nice and clean, you freeze odorous organics and only place the carts at curbside on the very morning of collection. Officials believe the black bear was healthy but say they will now perform a necropsy. That's really sad. I mean after all we are on their territory. Yeah, lots of bear sightings uh, lately, Tanya. How do conservation officers know this is the bear they were looking for? Well, Sophie, the bear left behind some paw prints and bite marks at the scene of the picnic yesterday, so conservation officers were able to compare those to the bear's paws and jaws. They were also working with a photograph taken yesterday and do believe this is the same animal. Sophie and Chris, back to you. Tanya Beja on Burnaby Mountain. Tanya, thank you. In response to a growing number of safety and environmental concerns, there's now a new plan to preserve one of B.C.'s busiest parks. Thanks in part to its Instagram-worthy views, there's been a huge spike in attendance at Joffrey Lakes Provincial Park, located just east of Pemberton. Last year, 183,000 people visited the park. That's up 168 percent since 2010. To meet the growing demand for parking, another 200 spots will be added with plans for completion in the fall. The province is also partnering with local First Nations to have two Indigenous stewards working alongside park rangers to help educate visitors about the park's natural and cultural values. Tensions boiled over at a Surrey City Council meeting last night. Mayor Doug McCallum and Councillor Stephen Pettigrew engaging in several heated exchanges. It comes just weeks after Pettigrew left the mayor's Safe Surrey Coalition party. Grace Key has more on what happened and reaction. Well, tempers flared when Councillor Stephen Pettigrew stood up with questions about how Mayor Doug McCallum was running last night's City Council Sorry. meeting. Councillor Pettigrew, please sit down. Okay, there's now, no the mayor repeatedly right asked him to sit down and at one point said he would have the councillor removed. Councillor Pettigrew, if this is your last warning, I'm going to ask you to leave in a minute. Emotions continue to run high after the meeting when one of our CKNW reporters caught up with both of them. Now, here's a listen to the dialogue that took place at the meeting and what was said afterwards. You're interrupting this meeting and we are not going to put up with it. So I think um, he's feeling overloaded and he's uh, not handling the uh, stress of 
account so very well. And the only um, stress that I'm getting is basically from the mayor by not allowing us to be able to speak and to do our jobs as councillors. We also asked people's reaction today about what unfolded and the mayor's comment. It, it, I just think it's getting more Trump-like all the time. It seems a little bit shakier since Diane left. Childish. All, on all sides. There's, there's nobody that's a winner on this one. Well, we did ask the councillor and mayor for comments about what unfolded yesterday. Neither side are willing to comment. In Surrey, Grace Key, Global News. The lack of late-night transit options in Metro Vancouver is a frustration and a concern, especially on weekends as people try to get home after the bars close. Well, later this week, potentially some good news. TransLink is set to reveal the results of a review on late-night service. And Aaron MacArthur has more on the changes that could be coming. Saturday night drinks. Or pick-a-day, really. Better plan ahead to get home. The last train from the peninsula leaves at 1.16. The bar industry wants to see more options for people who can't find a cab. We know when the last bar closes, uh, transit should still be open at least for another hour after that. So we can stop the bottleneck set. It it invariably happened downtown Vancouver. Passengers have long wanted new and better options to get home in the wee hours of the morning. The night bus situation has been sketchy at best. I think the station should run later at night, always. I don't think they should close it at, like, what's it called, like, by close to, like, 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. I would also take shifts at work that are off at that time, but I can't get home. You'd like to see more buses on the road, at least? Yeah, more buses. It's going to be a lot more easier to travel. Sources tell Global News TransLink intends to beef up its night bus network. Whether that means more routes or more frequent service is unclear still. What TransLink is likely not to do is extend SkyTrain service. Maintenance crews with only four hours every night to get their work done. We've long been asking for reasonable, safe transportation home in the form of TransLink service, buses, SkyTrain service till 3.15, and obviously some other option, the best being Uber and Lyft. TransLink set to announce a new night service plan Thursday morning. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Speculation tax, the foreign buyers tax, and the school tax. Those are just some of the factors cooling this region's real estate market. In part two of our real estate series, Gimme Shelter, we look at the drop in demand and the impact that's had on property transfer tax revenue to the province. Here's Sarah McDonald. The province's housing market has cooled to conditions some experts call recessionary. But this slowdown in all sectors is largely by design. It really was a crisis. That's not too strong a word to describe the challenges that we are facing in housing. The brakes applied intentionally in some respects by multi-level government policies put in place to rein in a frenzied market. We've had the foreign buyer tax expanded geographically and made even stricter. We have the speculation tax. We've also had the mansion tax. So here's a future share. Not only impacting sales and pricing, but supply as well. The pre-sales just aren't happening. Some developers now hitting pause on major builds, like this high-rise rental project in Coquitlam due to financing regulations. You have to pre-sell 60-65% of a building at minimum. Uh, within a nine-month period to get construction financing. So if you can't sell that many units, you basically have to halt the project. And no shovels in the ground means no new supply. Unless they're in a position to self-finance a project where they don't need the banks, they're giving a, a long, hard thought to how they proceed. 
It is unusual for any government to artificially suppress its own housing market, and it comes at a steep cost. In this province, $90 billion in equity, by some estimates, has been wiped off the map in the last year alone. And that means major losses in property transfer taxes. Reflected in this year's budget, the province reducing its revenue estimates by up to half a billion dollars. Are you worried at all? Like, do you lose sleep at night? Well, I think uh, I certainly worry about how challenging this issue is to take on. Uh, there is no question. It's probably one of the toughest files to deal with because we don't have all the tools. Or the means to satisfy all constituents. With regulations that level the playing field somewhat for buyers, also impacting the equity of homeowners. I think it's really important to be careful about playing with the economy because it's important to everyone. But with hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes filtering into government coffers annually to fund new housing supply, the province has no plans to take its foot off the brake. Sarah McDonald, Global News. It just becomes a matter of what are you willing to compromise on? Is it the size of the place that you're getting or is it the location that you're living in? Um, and, you know, we can't necessarily have our cake and eat it too. Getting wars were the the rule, not the exception, and now that's swapped. Uh, bidding wars are very uncommon these days, and so that's opened up a lot of opportunities for first-time buyers or people who are on the lower end of the market looking to jump up the property ladder. Tomorrow in part three of Gimme Shelter, we'll take a look at the challenges when it comes to breaking into the lower mainland's housing market as a first-time buyer. We'll hear from those prepared to rent for life and also from experts who say now is the time to buy if you can. That's tomorrow on the News Hour. Right now, though, a major deconstruction project, project along Vancouver's waterfront is raising some health concerns tonight. Several dozen grain silos are coming down. They were built near the beginning of the last century using materials we know are toxic, including asbestos. And residents worry some of it could drift into their neighborhood. Nadia Stewart explains what the company is doing to mitigate that risk. From up here, it becomes clear just how big this demolition project is. Grain distribution giant Viterra is tearing down 42 of its silos. They sent out notices to residents who live near the site in East Vancouver. It said that demolition was to start in May and go for up to a year. Richard Bergeron and others who live in the area say the notices showed up in their mailboxes a few weeks ago. But what also began popping up in the neighborhood were these posters. I actually thought that was uh, from the company. On a website dedicated to the demolition project, the company makes clear what's written on the poster is false, calling it misinformation. Viterra says PCBs, mercury and asbestos are among the hazardous materials identified on the site. But claims playgrounds and outdoor areas won't be safe during the demolition are false. Air quality is being monitored. The project was also approved following the Port Authority's environmental review process. And I think I'll be limiting how much time I spend outside in the neighborhood. Resident and artist Kate McDonald wonders whether real-time air quality updates will be made available for the duration of the project. She's also seen the posters, but doesn't know what to make of them. I'd love to know who's posting them and, and what the motivation is behind it. Is it a concern? that they're trying to point out about the project and that we should be less complacent about our health and, and the air we breathe? Or is it someone with an axe to grind? Either way, residents here admit there's little, if anything, they can do to stop the project. I think this area is just kind of entrenched in industrialization, so it's pretty much steady around here anyway. 
As for McDonald, she has her own mitigation technique in place, a new air purifier. Nadia Stewart, Global News. The SPCA will be recommending charges following the seizure of nearly 40 cats and kittens from a home in Vancouver. The cats were found living among piles of garbage and feces with inadequate access to water, lack of ventilation and high levels of ammonia from urine. The kittens were covered in fleas. The owners surrendered the animals. The BC SPCA says it's charging this property owner in the past or it has charged this property owner in the past and will be recommending charges again in this case. It'll be several months before the animals are ready for adoption. The Vancouver Police Department is showing off their newest and tallest recruits today. Jedi, Josiah, and Jarvis arrived earlier this month from a U.S. breeding facility. Since their arrival, the trio has been stationed at the Stanley Park Stables, training with VPD-mounted officers and civilian trainers. They will be given their official police horse names later this summer, and you can expect to see them in the city, along the seawall, in Stanley Park, and at large-scale events. This is actually the first time we've, we've gone to the United States. And like I said, this is a specific facility that does breed and raise horses for policing. So it means that the horses are coming to us already with a background in training. Um, like I said, the temperament of these horses, the way that they've reacted to what some of our horses would be um, more reactive to, even in our own paddock, has just been really telling for us. Beautiful animals, mm -hmm. no doubt. The thieves apparently knew exactly what they were looking for and pulled off one of the most unusual robberies Vancouver police have ever seen. A pair of unique chairs stolen from Lloyd Bruce Home Collections. That's a furniture store in Coal Harbor. They're believed to be the only two of their kind in Canada. Leather embossed with gold and bronze serpent-style arms and valued at $40,000 each. Uh, they walked through the, ran through the whole showroom, grabbed the chairs, picked them up. They were about 150 to 200 pounds each. They threw them above their heads and ran out on adrenaline. Um, there were a lot of other things they could have taken, but they obviously were coming for those. It happened on May 13th at 3 in the morning. The thieves took off with the rare furniture in a white Ford F-150 pickup. A Victoria Legion is facing an unexpected financial crisis that will be familiar to a lot of B.C. homeowners. A surprise tax bill. The Legion's property tax shot up dramatically after a multi-million dollar jump in its assessment. As Kylie Stanton reports, they simply don't know how they're going to pay for it. Their previous bill was $73,000. Even then, it was a stretch. But this year's total... Like, wow! <laughs> The Victoria branch of the Royal Canadian Legion is looking at a jump of more than $30,000 on its property tax bill. $104,254.78. Uh, this just came as such a shock. It was so massive, massively higher than the previous year. It's a situation many British Columbians are familiar with, being property rich and cash poor. The 2019 property value assessment of this branch was more than $7 million, compared to just over $4.2 million in 2018. But the Legion argues it's not a business, nor is it a bar, and every penny goes back into the community. We're a not-for-profit. Our mission statement is, uh, is to serve veterans and their dependents. 
but we can't keep doing it if all we're doing is working to pay our taxes. Now a Victoria City Councillor is proposing a one-time grant of roughly $36,000 from contingency funds to cover off the bill. And while the Legion has applied to the city for an exemption from next year's taxes, there could be additional funding going forward. We want to be able to use this, I guess, as a catalyst for the discussion about let's create a blanket policy that creates consistency and clarity for the Legions and which recognizes their service to our communities. Should the motion pass Thursday, Alto is also recommending the mayor write the province, urging it to consider a province-wide policy to fully exempt all legions in BC from having to pay property taxes. It's not sustainable. In the meantime, those here are dreading the deadline. Representatives will have a chance to plead their case to mayor and council this Thursday. At this point, the future of Victoria's last remaining active branch is in their hands. We can't let the legion die. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. And you see that puff of smoke. That means the soft landing engines have fired and the capsule is on the ground. So they did make it down a couple of seconds early. Canadian astronaut David St. Jacques is back on Earth tonight and beginning his long recovery after spending more than six months on the International Space Station. The 49-year-old's 204 days in orbit sets a new record for the longest space flight by a Canadian. Aside from the normal after-effects like nausea and dizziness, St. Jacques is in good health. SpaceX launched its Falcon Heavy rocket for the second time this year with mixed results. Liftoff took place early this morning and went as scheduled. Shortly after liftoff, the two side boosters separated and returned successfully to an area near the launch site. The center booster attempted to land on the company's autonomous barge in the Atlantic Ocean, but that didn't go quite as well. And as you can see on our screen... Just missed the landing and plunged into the ocean. The SpaceX craft itself is okay and will deploy... Two dozen satellites for the Department of Defense, NASA, NOAA, and some academic and nonprofit research programs. Oh, minor glitch. Well, the chaos over migrants continues in the U.S. tonight with Customs and Border Protection moving about 100 children back into a Texas detention center that had been criticized for appalling conditions. The controversy prompting the acting director of the agency to resign with no clear end in sight to the turmoil. And a warning, one of the images in this report is especially disturbing. These are images of detained migrants in the hot Texas sun. For months, Customs and Border Protection facilities have been overflowing. More and more immigrants making the grueling journey from Central America. This heartbreaking photo highlighting the danger. A man and his 23-month-old daughter drowning on the Rio Grande. Her arm wrapped around her father. Now more accounts of children in detention with little food going without soap, showers or toothbrushes for days, even weeks. Treating these children in this manner is completely unacceptable. Is this a funding problem or a management problem? Um, I think it's definitely a management problem. Today, a CBP official said allegations of civil rights abuses are taken seriously and acknowledges there is overcrowding. But later, the official disputed accounts of inadequate food, saying, quote, I don't buy it and I personally don't believe the allegations. For months, we've seen the surge of undocumented migrants here firsthand. Border Patrol officials telling us these facilities were only meant to be short-term, but now there's a massive backlog. They're out of room. They just don't have anybody, and there's nowhere for them to go. 
There is growing scrutiny of migrant detention across the country. Luce from Honduras didn't want us to show her face or use her last name. She spent months in an ICE detention center in Texas while she says her 15-year-old son was sent to a different one. They treated me like an animal, she says. It was horrible. After federal authorities announced yesterday that nearly 300 children were being removed from this facility, tonight about 100 have been brought back, and there's no telling how long they'll stay. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Clint, Texas. Caught on video, a Florida father's superhero leap to save his son after the toddler made it past the pool fence and fell in. Albert Passivanti dives right over the fence to rescue one-year-old Rocco. A local drowning prevention group says it doesn't recommend jumping in like Albert did, but it understands why he did it. Albert says while he'd never let a fence get in the way of saving his son, he will make sure that in the future the fence gets in the way of his son falling in. Wow. Slid right past it. Good diving technique. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. Well, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are making headlines tonight for their home renovations. Buckingham Palace announcing that the cost of updating Prince Harry and Meghan's new home topped $4 million Canadian. The Renaults were to Frogmore Cottage on the grounds of the Queen's Windsor Castle estate. It became Harry and Meghan's official residence shortly before the birth of their son Archie in May. The majority of the bill was paid by British taxpayers, but at this point there doesn't seem to be a huge uh, amount of controversy over that bill. Well, hundreds of firefighters from across B.C. said goodbye today to one of their own in Burnaby. A funeral procession for senior captain Ken Kinney wound down Willingdon. Kinney, also known as the Tin Man, passed away earlier this month due to work-related lung cancer. He joined the Burnaby Fire Department nearly 30 years ago. And our condolences, of course, go out to his workmates and to his family. Real Norm, coming for you. It can only go so fast. An amazing orca encounter off the coast of B.C. that has to be seen to be believed. Grand piracy of the salmon variety. Cal Robinson of Blackfish Charters had a couple of clients off Prince Rupert Monday, and one was reeling in a nice Chinook. But an orca suddenly appeared and did something Robinson says he's never seen in all his years. It ate the salmon right off the hook. It's just a head. That's what left of our spring salmon. Look at the whale right here. Upside down. The orca even hangs around for a moment as if to bask in its victory before swimming away. Robinson says his clients did manage to catch their limits today. Very lucky group. All right, after years of rough seas, it looks like there are calmer waters ahead for the Vancouver Aquarium and the Vancouver Park Board. The two sides have reached a new long-term lease agreement. Linda Ellsworth spoke to the man leading the aquarium into the future. There's a new CEO in the corner office at the Vancouver Aquarium. Lasse Gustafsson comes to Vancouver with an international conservation-based resume and a clear idea of what he wants to do. I didn't come here to run an aquarium. I came here to build the Global Ocean Conservation Group. This is already an aquarium focusing on conservation, but we can do so much more. But he realized that before any big changes could take place, the aquarium's lease in Stanley Park, which runs out in 10 years, needed to be dealt with. 
So I reached out to the park board and, and they've been very reasonable and I said I'd like to have a longer timeline so we can at attract funding and investment. And so the lease has been extended until 2054 with the agreement that there will be no more litigation over keeping cetaceans at the facility, something that was neither a surprise or a concern. You can run a world-class aquarium without whales and dolphins. So for me this is not even an issue. What will the Vancouver Aquarium look like under new leadership? Helen the Dolphin will move to another facility with more of her kind, while the emphasis here will shift away from the Arctic. So I would like the, the next phase of the aquarium to be focusing on the Pacific Rim, from Asia to South America to the Canadian West Coast. That will include a focus on salmon and its connection to the environment and indigenous people. And on smaller animals like penguins, he hopes to grow their current colony from 6 to 70 animals. If we can connect the penguin colony here with their wild cousins in northern Chile, all of a sudden the story we will tell here is a conservation story. And that is at the root of Gustafsson's five-year strategic plan that begins in January. People come here, they want to have a good time, they want to learn something. If we can connect them to conservation, real conservation that happens in the wild, that'll be even more inspiring. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The 19-year-old who just set an upside-down Rubik's Cube world record right after the forecast. Not nearly as impressive as making sense of meteorological data. <laughs> Let's check in with Yvonne, Sch <laughs> Yvonne Schell right now. Uh, really, a lot of folks in the province hoping for some rain. We'll see if we get it here. Yes, and we've got a few uh, a few chances to see some rainfall. Not much, but we are going to be tracking it over the next few days, and it is going to be cooler, so a heads up if you do have plans outdoors. Today it was fantastic. We had some sunshine. We're already starting to see that cloud cover rolling in. Temperatures today getting up to 21, and that's what we're sitting out of the airport. A southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. And we've got lots of activity, still tracking some thunderstorms. We're seeing it across the island. The bulk of it across the interior, and it'll be very very similar for tomorrow and leading in towards our Thursday, Friday. Now, we are going to see that chance of showers even overnight by the morning hours. And then the bulk of the moisture across the south coast of Metro Vancouver will be falling on our Thursday. And that's where we could see anywhere between 10 and up to 20 millimeters. So Thursday, rainfall. Friday, Saturday, though, it remains unsettled with the chance of showers. And if you've got plans for the long weekend, it'll likely be Sunday, Monday, that we'll start to see a bit of a clearing and much drier conditions. Coastal sections tomorrow up to 19 degrees. It's a risk of thunderstorms and a chance of showers right across the board. This stretches in towards the southern half of the province. Highs tomorrow still getting into the low 20s. Areas near Whistler will see that instability and it's the eastern areas and along the Sunshine Coast that we will be looking at the risk of thunderstorms stretching in towards Whistler and Metro Vancouver is going to be included within that. The heaviest rainfall will be on our Thursday. It showers for our Friday, Saturday. Temperatures tomorrow will be bumping up to 20 degrees. Tonight's weather window, this is a Great shot, a little different. Regan took this shot in Abbotsford, and it looks to be like uh, looks like a ladybug's nest. Guys, you have to look very closely. Oh, that's amazing. Cool. Very cool. You never know what you're going to get in the weather window. No, it kind. almost looks like it's shaped like a heart. It's really amazing. Okay, thank you, Yvonne. A teenager in the country of Georgia is celebrating a new upside-down world record. That's right. 19-year-old Vako Marcellashvili solved a Rubik's Cube while hanging upside-down in just 13 seconds. The old record was just under 16 seconds. Now, this isn't Vako's first record. Last year, he solved six Rubik's Cubes underwater in one breath in a minute and 44 seconds, which sounds like a harder challenge. 
than this one. He started, he started hard, now he's doing the easy Rubik's Cube stuff. It's because all the blood's rushing to his brain, so he can. it makes him smarter and gets it faster. Right, faster. <laughs> yeah, I don't know theory. about that. He just does it in his sleep. <laughs> I, just take, I peel yeah. the stickers off. And yeah, that's true. That'd be very good. Together. That's a good idea. I'm still working on the one I got in grade 8. Won't be, won't be long now. Squires back with sports. The Vancouver Canucks are going to look a little bit different next season. Well, in more ways than one. And wait till free agency starts. They'll mm -hmm. probably add one or two players there as well. So the Canucks have given qualifying offers to eight players today, including Brock Besser, Nikolai Goldobin, Josh Levo, and Tyler Mott. So Vancouver retains their negotiating rights. However, they decided to let the following players become free agents. Ben Hutton, Derek Pouliot, Marcus Granlin and Brendan Gaunt. Releasing Hutton and Pouliot means Vancouver thinks they can replace them on the free agent market or possibly through trades, and I'm sure the Canucks are hoping Oleo Levy finally makes the team as well. Hutton is the one that is the most polarizing for Canuck fans because a case can be made both ways, keeping him and letting him go. One of the reasons he's going, he had arbitration rights, so Vancouver was a bit afraid of what he might get from an arbitrator. He was second in average ice time to Alex Edler at 22 minutes and 21 seconds a night. That amount is not easy to replace, but Hutton was also a minus 23 this past season, so maybe he wasn't able to handle that kind of load. And a more expensive free agent defenseman like perhaps Tyler Myers will be brought in to take over all that ice time and with that allow Alex Edler to play less than he has in the past. Well, this is the Canucks' 50th season. There, you see their 50th season logo. And today they release their schedule. They'll have nights when they'll celebrate all the different decades and eras. Alex Burroughs will be put in the ring of honor. We'll find out which game that is. We also know that they will retire the numbers of Henrik and Daniel Sedin on February 12th. That'll be Sedin week. The season opens October 2nd in Edmonton, first home game. October 9th against the LA Kings, just like it was on October 9th of 1970. Here are some other key games we thought you might want to know about. Washington always comes in October, October 25th. St. Louis, now the champs. They have two visits. New Jersey with Jack Hughes and P.K. Subban, uh, November 10th. Toronto, Montreal, and Pittsburgh all come in December. And then Boston and Tampa Bay is here in March. Now, last season, Quinn Hughes wasn't the only Canucks prospect who played at the University of Michigan. The other was right winger William Lockwood. He is a former third rounder from 2016 and after being hampered by injuries in recent years, last season was his best since Vancouver drafted him. It's been a, you know, kind of a rough couple summers for me, but um, you know, I'm healthy now and um, it's great to be back in Vancouver. I love this place. And that Canucks Nation should be music to your ears. After multiple shoulder surgeries, Will Lockwood is 100% healthy. And even though he's heading back to Michigan for his senior season of college hockey, Vancouver remains his professional hockey destination of choice. It's um, you know, a team that took a chance on me in the draft, and um, you know, I've been very or they've been very loyal to me and um, stuck with me. Um, and I've been very fortunate enough, and you know, it's kind of come to a point where I owe them a little bit so um, you know working and developing my game is um, you know the end plan is to come here in Vancouver. Play watch out Will Lockwood he's in the clear deep shoots scores! If you're looking for a Canucks prospect capable of stepping into Vancouver's lineup right now it's arguably Will Lockwood. He set new career highs and goals and points in his junior year at Michigan with 31 points in 36 games. 
Those 36 games representing his first full season of hockey in years. Does he look like a guy who could be a pro a year from now? Absolutely, and we've felt that uh, previously. And, uh, the, you know, there's a lot that went into his decision, and I know it, uh, he and I went back and forth on it for, you know, six to eight weeks, and he wanted to do right, uh, you know, by his body and make sure jumping right into the American League maybe at the end of this year that uh, he got another off season at least to train, and then I think he felt going back and being a captain at Michigan, um, kind of what that uh, school means to him, that, that he owed it to them to go back and have a great senior year and get ready to turn pro. You know, a lot of the time it's it's such a business, but you know it, it doesn't really seem that way. The Vancouver, um, you know, the coaching staff and the players um, have had a very personal relationship with a lot of the people, and um, you know that really hits home. That's really important to me and. You know, that's kind of the character um, that I carry with me, and I think it's, uh, it's a good situation both ways. Hockey Hall of Fame inductees announced today the great defensive forward, Guy Carboneau, who won a few Stanley Cups. Sergei Zuboff was a great defenseman. Of course, Haley Wickenheiser has a whole house full of gold medals. Jim Rutherford, not as a goalie, but as a GM. He won three Stanley Cups as a GM. Vaclav Nedimansky and the great college coach, Jerry York, uh, are also part of this year's inductee class. And once again, former Canuck Alexander McGillney did not get voted in. I know there were times when McGillney was accused of playing great when he needed a new contract and not so great when he didn't need one. But his numbers are actually better than Paul Correa. And this is not knocking Correa, but he was better than Correa, who was voted in two years ago. And McGillney has a Stanley Cup championship on his resume. Again, not to knock Correa, but if he's in... McGillney should be in. Okay. China-Italy today at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Seeing uh, who's going to get to the quarterfinals here. Ball's bouncing around and Italy capitalizes. Valentina Giacinti. That made it 1-0 in the 15th. Laura Giuliani, nice save here. Wang Van, this is going to fall in. But that big hand knocks it away. I know the feeling. Then Aurora Galli in the 49th minute, 2 nothing Italy. They're to the final eight for the first time at this tournament since 1991. There you go. Coming up on ET Canada, 10 years since his death. A look back at the legacy of Michael Jackson, plus Cardi B in court and on set with James Bond. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But first, back to you, Chris and Sophie. Well, thank you, Roz. Looking sharp. Okay. A Canadian startup company has a creative and nutritional approach to solving our country's food waste problem. They're taking fruits and veggies bound for the landfill and turning them into nutritional supplements. Global's Jesse Thomas has more on Beyond Food and the high-profile backers supporting the endeavor. Aside from playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, what do the St. Louis Blues and Boston Bruins have in common? According to Beyond Food co-founder TJ Galliardi, players on both sides use their sports nutrition and plant-based supplements to fuel up. Uh, the Blues uh, pretty much exclusively use our products as, for the most part, so uh, they're, they've been great supporters of us as well. And the, the Bruins, there's plenty of guys on the team. I, I told you Tori Krug is one of them. And Galliardi, a vegan, played seven seasons in the NHL and says plant-based diets are becoming more common in pro sports as the nutritional benefits become more known. It's come a long way since then. I used to have to plug my nose and chug things down, but you can tell when, if you guys get the chance to try our stuff that 
you can really have this high-quality plant-based protein and still get all the benefits. Beyond Food held a grand opening at their new production facility in Dartmouth that will allow the company to grow into its next phase. We just finished putting this uh, production line together in the last month. Uh, We've run a few tests through it and we're just getting ready to start processing and powdering and, and running our packaging line to package the the powdered vegetables here. Beyond Food is founded on the sustainable idea of solving the food waste dilemma. Their goal is to team up with national grocers and take fruit and vegetables headed for landfill and convert that wasted food into supplements. Food waste and turning it into something that uh, has incredible value not only to the people that are going to use it but also to the planet is, is a big undertaking and the logistical challenges that we've been facing since we started this, um, again, it's no surprise that uh, no one has figured this out. The federal government awarded the plant-based startup a pair of loans, including $425,000 to produce and package its supplements and another $500,000 to market and grow its brand worldwide. Beyond Food say they are in partnership talks with a national grocery chain to take their food waste and hope to make that announcement soon. Jesse Thomas, Global News, Dartmouth. I have a box of spinach that's nearing its best before. They could they use it. Have it. They yeah. could use yeah. it. That's right. It's brownish, though. Yeah, there's I nothing more disturbing chocolate. than opening the fridge like, oh, that's gone bad. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. And then you just try to pretend it's not there. Well. Experiment. It's smelly. Yeah. <laughs> smell sometimes. You can't. Uh, Hope you're enjoying can't. your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what that kind of looks like? Is our fridge just over here. Oh. No. The fridge. That deserves that. a story, too. You all know. I've done that one, but it, I tried to shame them in the changing. It didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> Every workplace has it. Yeah. Thank you very much for watching, folks. Have a good night. Good night, all.